Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Well, I don't really get too worked up about mid-season AP polls. <laughs> I try not to. It's really hard. Very, very difficult, especially not having a vote. Sometimes it just takes everything in me not to put everybody on blast, which I'm going to do a little bit here today, but that's okay. When I you saw know, the, the tough thing about that is I often wonder like who's 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 voting for these awards. And the fact that if you don't have a vote, that just makes me more angry because I just assume it's everyone. I assume that we've talked about it on the yeah. pod before. I know, but it's just so funny because it's like, how can so many people who are allegedly more qualified be so wrong? But well, I've, I've had to explain to people as well when people say like, oh, you know, they, they just want these two teams in the top 25 for ratings. And I'm like, you realize that TV execs aren't putting people in the top 25. It's just it's writers. And oftentimes they're talking about very most very much like games that they're not going to be covering. So keeping AM in the top 25 doesn't really make or break how they're going to spend their Saturday necessarily. Um, right. But when, when I saw that 31 people of the 63 AP voters put AM in their top 25, I had the realization that there are 31 people who admitted that they don't watch football. <laughs> what, know. Like we talked about last time, what are you waiting to see from this Texas A&M team? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, shout out to Josh Furlong, who put the Aggies at number 14 in his AP poll, even though they got punched in the face at home by a group of five team, and they have yet to beat an FBS team this year. Um, Josh ranked have to say? fifth, 24th. Sorry. Sorry. I'll be nice. Four people put Owen to Notre Dame in there as well, which is great. Love to see that. I have a colleague that I really like who has an AP vote. And I know he was away this weekend. He had Notre Dame at 14. And I, I touched base with him. I'm not going to put him on blast or anything. I touched base with him, but I'm just like, what's up here? What Did we get our signals crossed? Was there miscommunication? He explained it to me. I'll, I'll, I'll save that for a private conversation. But let's, I, I disagreed with him. I mean, I mean, I wholeheartedly disagreed with him. Um, I also mm-hmm. wanted to see how many voters put Mississippi State in the AP poll. I think it was seven. That's it. People are literally sleeping on Mississippi State and probably because they played that game that ended at three in the morning. Not all of us were able to stay up past our bedtime and watch all of that football game. But nonetheless, that's kind of where things stand. We'll get into that a little bit more later with our game preview talking about Mississippi State and LSU. Great pod lined up. Trayvon Diggs coming on a bit later, figuring out we're talking couple fights. Yeah, we're going there. We're going there. (laughs) Uh, hope you'll be able to listen to this on iTunes. We're still working through those issues. I know a lot of different podcasts are having problems with it. Even part of my take is having some issues there. So if you ever, if you're listening to this right now, I, I need you to take note of this. If you're ever like, hey, didn't you guys do a recap episode on, on Sunday? Or, or didn't you do a preview pod that comes out on Thursday? Why am I not seeing an iTunes? We always do. We, we always do. <laughs> Hell is frozen over. It is inconsistent. It is the people managing the RSS feed. Yes. If it isn't on iTunes, find us on Spotify or SoundCloud. Okay. So just, just know that because we're still working through whatever in the world is going on with this ridiculous iTunes thing. So let's talk some week three, shall we? Does that sound good? Mm-hmm. Number one, Georgia, 24 point favorite on the road against South Carolina. The over under I have references to 105 stars. Yeah. Uh, that viral clip last year, which came on the heels of a question from my guy, Ben Portnoy, about why Shane Beamer thought the matchup was so lopsided between South Carolina and Georgia, that that has made the rounds a lot this week. You can say something like that if you're a year one coach who inherits a two-win team like Shane Beamer did, and you're up against the eventual national champs. Expectations pretty low. 
This year, maybe a little bit different, but not so much. Georgia has 15 five stars on the roster. So Shane might want to fact check that this time. Not 100. Can't have that. 15. Unless you got 15 of them gray shirting, in which case, more power to you, I guess. Kirby will find a way to make that happen. I'm sure by the year 2030 or something. I don't know. The entire Pac-12 has how many five stars, Will? Okay, hold on. So we're talking, oh, but USC is probably about half of those. So I'm going to say Oregon's about half. I'm going to say USC is pretty close. So, and there's a couple like Heward is out there. So I'm going to say about, let's go like 15. It's a pretty good guess. That's a pretty good guess. And you, I, I like your, I like the way that you broke that down because your breakdown was very close. There's 10. That's it. So Georgia's got oh, more five boy. stars. <laughs> yeah. So the percentages are easy to do at that point. Real easy. Yeah. Oregon has half of them with five, which we saw how that went in week one. USC has mm-hmm. three. Washington has two. That's it. And soon, probably all those teams are going to be out of the Pac-12. So I guess just enjoy them while you have them. Pac-12, five stars are very hard to come by. South Carolina, mm-hmm. three five stars, three of them. I can actually name them without looking them up. Spencer Rattler, Jordan Birch, Zach Pickens. Simple as that. All of them will have a huge say in Saturday's game. Two of those guys, Birch and Pickens, were recruited by Will Muschamp. Speaking of Will Muschamp, what do we think? Well, standing ovation. Um... <laughs> Man, Will Mus- the thing about Will Muschamp is he's so like, he takes everything so personally that a lot of coaches in his spot would be like, hey, you know, what's up? But you, you, he will find a way that the people of South Carolina have wronged him, I'm sure. It'll be mutual even though he got paid a whole lot of money to not do a very good job at South Carolina. I think a moment of silence right. is more likely than a round of applause for Will Muschamp. Um, that, mm-hmm. that to me just does not seem like it'll happen and make no mistake. That place is going to be rocking. It absolutely will be early kickoff for that one, which is kind of unfortunate. Poor South Carolina fans. It's going to be hot. <laughs> it's going to be really, really hot. As Marler always says, hottest place on earth, Columbia, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Something to keep in mind, we talked all offseason about all those new pieces for Georgia coming off of last year's title team. This is their first true road game for a lot of them, at least in a significant role. Being there in Atlanta week one, I'll credit Oregon fans for having somewhat of a presence at Mercedes-Benz, but that crowd was still probably like 75-25, and maybe even more than that, depending. I couldn't really see the, the lower area as well. I obviously think the the reason that spread is so high is because South Carolina's offensive line has been Swiss cheese so far. We say that in sports and specifically with line play, like it's a bad thing. I think Swiss is one of the better cheeses. <laughs> I'm just yes. gonna throw it out there. And if you know if you're a D lineman, it's looking pretty tasty out there. It is. You know what? A little little grilled roast beef and Swiss, some horseradish. Sign me up, man. But I get it. I understand. Um, a lot of holes in that South Carolina offensive line. Bad offensive line against Georgia's young, talented defensive line that still has Jalen Carter. Not great. Don't have a whole lot of confidence that South Carolina is going to hold up and do the thing like 2021 Alabama, where all of a sudden they figured out their offensive line issues when Georgia showed up. That made no sense whatsoever. (laughs) We can't forget that. Zero sacks. How do you allow zero sacks that game? I have to think, I have to think that Marcus Satterfield makes some adjustments. He's talked about that. He's taken a lot of that ownership for the offensive struggles, the lack of identity that they've kind of had so far. I fired up the old PFF subscription, dug into the numbers here because I thought about this when I was rewatching South Carolina, Arkansas. Spencer Rattler always feels like he's operating with pretty limited protection, not only because he's got a bad offensive line, but even when he does get time, he does the Bo Nix thing where he 
drifts to his right too much. And that's frustrating to watch. But in that mm-hmm. Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan offense, which those are the concepts that Marcus Satterfield is trying to run at South Carolina. You really don't have a ton of six man protections with either a tight end or a running back staying in there to pass block. So I added up Rattler's pass attempts, sacks taken, and rushing attempts. That total is 92. Will, guess how many times there was either. (laughs) Sorry, you just threw that number in there and kept moving. Hold on. What were you going to say? That's not that crazy of a number. That's not that crazy of a number. So I'll say that again. Rattler's pass attempts, sacks taken, and rushing attempts. That combined total is 92. So it's, it's a lot, but it's not, you know. It actually could be could be a lot higher than that. Guess how many oh, that's times through two games? My bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Through two. Games. Okay. Not. I once. thought it was one. Okay. Continue. Just, yeah. Through two games. So guess how many times of those ninety-two, there was a tight end or a running back in there on pass protection. Let's go twenty. A little more, but yeah, you're you're in the neighborhood thirty. That's it. Okay. That's one out of every three times that he's throwing the football that he gets ex- extra protection. If you have an offensive line who takes care of business, no problem. But Rattler isn't even getting to his third or fourth progression. So why not have one of those tight ends or those running backs? You have depth there. Why not have one of them stay in and pass block a little bit more? I think that's the adjustment you have to make against this Georgia front that will absolutely get after you. I still think Rattler has probably two picks in this game. Georgia wins, but doesn't cover. 38-17, backdoor cover for South Carolina. Thoughts on this one, Will? Um, yeah, I think Georgia covers. I think Kirby has been super-duper playing the disrespect card. It's been working out really well for Georgia. Um, and, yeah, I think at the end of the day, like you said, I mean, <laughs> it's you have a weakness on a strength, which is never good, especially in the trenches. Um, very funny that they have two five-star D tackles. <laughs> it's like, what is, uh, is, what is another one? on the edge? Yeah, yeah. No, right, right, right. Just D lineman. Like I, I looked, I looked up those guys the other day. It's just funny. That it's like the most SEC thing ever. And then there's Spencer Rattler, of course. But yeah, um, the, you know, the funny thing about <laughs> the funny thing about Beamer is he's like one of the more likable coaches in the SEC, and I think that works out for him, especially in games like this, because it's like you know, like we were just talking about Muschamp, right? Like Muschamp is fundamentally kind of an unlikable guy. But with Beamer, it's almost like it makes you want to not pick teams to cover because you don't think they're going to rub it in. Well. Mm. With Georgia, I actually think that Kirby is such a madman at this point in his career that it does not matter. You saw that clip with a video that I posted the other day of him just screaming at one of his players up like 30-something points in the fourth quarter. It's like, you know, the the concept, you know, we're the the defending national champions. We're ranked, you know, third in the preseason. He was trying to play that up. So I think that he's going to take every chance this season to run up the score when he can as opposed to, you know, his usual, like, you know, kill the clock, do whatever. Um, yeah, but it, it it bodes poorly for South Carolina because it seems like this Georgia team is even angrier than they were last year. That was an all-time angry Georgia team last year. Yeah, and in this game too, in which South Carolina having some form of offensive life was Josh Van being able to to be able to catch a couple passes downfield, and that was seen as this nice victory for South Carolina. Uh, they have the better guy to be able to execute their offense and actually take some of those chances because that's what you have to do against Georgia, especially if they're not going to be able to get home with three or four, however many they're rushing. But yeah, I just don't see this as a as a game that that goes sixty minutes in which we're talking about a potential South Carolina upset. Number twenty, Ole Miss, sixteen point favorite on the road against Georgia Tech. The over under I have. 0.5 starting quarterback's name for Ole Miss. <laughs> it's week three. It's week three. We don't have a starting quarterback yet for Ole Miss. Maybe by the time that 
were listening to this, there'll be, or by the time that you're listening to this, there will be something. But uh, the fact that Lane hasn't named a starter at this point is, I mean, it's kind of wild. We thought he was going to drag it out, but this has taken a bit of time. And in Lane's defense, his, his options haven't really made it that easy for him. You know, I, Jackson Dart has more talent, but he's got a little bit too much of the bad 2020 Matt Corral in him for my liking to just roll with that and assume that that's going to be fine. Luke Altmaier, just a roller coaster from quarter to quarter. Like you see him in the first quarter of that game last week and you're saying, OK, he's going to be the starter. That's going to be the guy. And then you watch him in the second quarter and you say, yeah, we sure. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, who knows if the, the upper body injury is going to open the door for the possibility of Dart to be able to step in. We'll kind of wait and see about that. Lane has been able to do this because of the way that the schedule starts off. They've got Tulsa after this, right? There's, oh, boy. We've talked about this. Tulsa is not who you want to play around with. You will find out. True, fair, but still, I mean, you would, <laughs> you would think that that at least having one dimension against a team like Tulsa, which Ole Miss does. I mean, the rushing attack is really, yeah. really good, but I don't know. Uh, Kentucky comes to town after that Tulsa game, and against that front seven, you don't want to be indecisive. Just ask Anthony Richardson about that. That was mean. That was really mean. I am not anti-Richardson. <laughs> I am not. I want Anthony Richardson to be fun. We can both agree that that college football having a guy that can do the things that he does on a regular basis would be great. I just want proper context for what he is as a player right now, instead of what he's shown he could be in flashes. Not the point of this argument. Ole Miss. Chrissy Freud wrote a piece for us uh, for Saturday down South about this dilemma that Lane faces now. And this, this decision that he has clearly gone back and forth. on. There's no way that he has had his mind made up on this, and he has stuck with that and that he has not had this internal debate about which guy he wants to run his offense. And maybe there's some semantics with the transfer portal because technically Altmaier could enter and then just not play somewhere and take a redshirt year. But I don't know. This is kind of a, a strange situation. I'll again say that this offense just isn't as easy to master as some have kind of assumed. This is still, though, a very favorable matchup for Ole Miss with what they have in the ground game right now with Evans and with Judkins. They, they like Judkins a lot. He's the highest-rated running back in the SEC right now from PFF. The burst that he has, he's, he's a fun, fun player. I'm going to say Ole Miss, but I'm going to say Ole Miss only wins by 14, and they don't cover a 16-point spread in Atlanta. Will, any thoughts on this one? Yeah, I think, I think you're right on the money there. I mean, I think there's a comparison. Tell me if you hate it. Lane Kiffin is like the Elon Musk of college football. Whoa. He, he does a little trolling. He's very smart. He handles his business. But I think that this quarterback thing is like you said, it's, it's week three. Like we got to figure this out. The joke is the joke is getting old. We gotta, we gotta make a plan. We can't just be out here for the memes. And so, yeah, I think that to your point, you know, their offense does not look very consistent at all. Um, and I think that you got to kind of figure that out going down the stretch. Um, I don't, I haven't really seen a lot of that Georgia tech that makes me think, um, you know, they've turned a corner. We talked about the three win seasons. I'll turn on local Atlanta sports radio and just hear them screaming about Georgia Tech about every other day. So I'm not confident in Georgia Tech. But to your point, it's almost like at this point, Ole Miss is their own, you know, it, they're playing against themselves a bit. So I, I'm with you. I think they win, but not cover. Yeah, the, this is a, this is a very much a, a pressure game, probably for the Jeff Collins trying to survive. You got to eventually win one that you're not supposed to. But I don't think that will be happening on Saturday. Great game, yep. CBS. I, I say great game, 
great non-conference game. There, there's a better way to phrase that. Number 22, Penn State, three-point favorite on the road against Auburn. The over-under I have, 12 mentions of the color orange. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but everybody's talking about. We know we got the orange face mask with the white helmets that Auburn's going to be rocking for this one. There have been mm-hmm. some tweets. There have been some suggestions from the Auburn account all week hinting at the possibility of orange uniforms, which it would make sense after Auburn went to Penn State for a whiteout last year. The funny thing is that Penn State never wears white for a whiteout. And I'm always like, as cool as this is from a crowd standpoint, and it's one of the <laughs> ultimate sights in college football, it never jives with what we actually see on the field. Not only because it looks weird, but because Penn State is actually only nine and eight in those whiteout games. They've won their last two. They actually had a losing record. But Wow, that's a yeah. good stat. Crazy. I mean, it's always a big game. So, you know, you're probably facing a top 10 team, top 15 team. Something like that. But nonetheless, whole lot of buzz about orange uniforms this week. I'm going to say this as nice as I can because I am not a guy who craps on the fun uniforms. I think they serve their place in college football. They help with recruiting. I totally understand that. I'm the guy who believes every every NBA uniform from the 90s was better. And about half of the NFL team should go back to their 90s uniforms as well. 90s uniforms. We just had it figured out. We were better. We're not as good as we once once were. I have a ton of experience with navy and orange. Okay. My high school colors, navy and orange. My mom went to Illinois. My brother nearly went to Illinois. I mean, he was an Illinois fan as well. We had a lot of blue and orange in our household. I even had a three-month stretch in high school where I thought I was going to go to Illinois. Didn't happen. Mm -hmm. On top of that, I'm a Chicago Bears fan. I'm telling you right now, the orange uniforms aren't it. They're not. I was waiting on you to get there on your own because I was like, I know Connor doesn't like those orange bears uniforms. They look soft. And when your team is losing, you'll have that moment where you think, wow, we spent all these times, all this time talking about these soft uniforms. That's what they are. And don't get it twisted. I'm not calling Auburn soft. I'm not doing the Roman Harper thing, but orange feels soft when it's on the losing side. It just does. I, don't, I can't explain it. Will, you get more into the uniform stuff than I do. Are you pro orange uniform or anti orange uniform? So I think this is a really specific case. Uh, I, I hate to be that guy. There is there's one school that can pull off orange, and it's Florida. I think Florida's oranges look awesome. I think overall, like they're, the way they do orange and blue is very different from the way that orange that Auburn sure. does orange and blue. I think that if you're Brian Harson, however, you really just kind of need whatever you can get. It, yeah, it's kind of a true. dumb take. It's kind of a dumb take, but we said the same thing about um, Ashford. It's like, hey, you need to just do something other than what you're doing. So they weren't very good when they wore blue uniforms. Maybe they'll be a little bit better in orange. I don't know. You, whatever things are going the way they've been going for Auburn, you just go out there and wear mustard yellow. It doesn't matter. <laughs> they will be The orange uniforms will be whatever you want them to be. That, exactly. That, that is it. If, if you hate them and if Auburn falls behind by two touchdowns, you're going to be cursing those uniforms. I'm telling you. If they're and then winning, you throw them in the trash and blame the uniforms and you move on to next week. It works every time. That's that's probably the best way to do it. You can bury a football or you could throw away your uniforms. Take your pick, especially when they're an alternate uniform. Watch though. Now Auburn's gonna come out and just totally dominate. And that's gonna look like it's <laughs> a dumb thing. <laughs> they gotta change their uniforms to orange, and then you're just gonna be living in hell. Like, why did I do this to myself? Yeah. Like Auburn just Auburn finding its magic was actually and why they haven't been able to do this since 2013. They just needed to find the right uniforms. And then they did. And then exactly. watch, they're going to go to a national championship this year. Um, I don't think that'll necessarily happen. I worry about TJ Finley forcing throws against a rock solid Penn State defense who has one of the top corners, maybe the top corner in all of college football, Joey Porter Jr. 
I feel old every time I reference that. I do really, really <laughs> old. I've talked about him a lot this week. And every time I bring it up, I'm like, ah, gosh, Joey Porter Sr. I he has a son that's old enough to be that good already. And they're talking mm-hmm. about him as a first, like I I get it with you know the JC Horn thing. We experienced it, and that's that's who I keep comparing him to, and a guy who mm-hmm. knows a thing or two about shutting out Auburn. Um, <laughs> but kind of a kind of a similar, similar sort of vibes there. I'm squatting on that take, by the way. I want full credit for that. And I'm, I, I just kind of wonder about this with, with Joey Porter Jr. in this game. I think that that's going to set up for a really nice matchup for the Penn State defense. He will be facing a group of very unproven Auburn receivers. I looked this up on PFF as well. Cedric Jackson, Coy Moore, only two Auburn receivers with at least 25 routes total in these first two games. Even Javarius Johnson, who has twice as many receiving yards as the next closest Auburn receiver, only played 38 total snaps, ran 24 routes. Penn State is going to load the box. They're going to trust their corners to be able to operate on an island, which means that ground game is either seeing a lot of unblocked defenders or Finley is going to be dared to throw the football. Six games in TJ Finley's career in which he attempted 25 pass attempts. Will, do you think those numbers are good, mediocre, bad? What's what's your guess? I feel like I've witnessed a couple of them, and they were not good, but I haven't checked in since this. So you tell me. Yeah, they're not great. The win-loss record, take that for what it is. It's overrated for quarterbacks. He's one in five in those games. The TD INT is actually pretty good, seven to three. This is where it gets bad. The completion percentage is 54%. The yards per attempt, 5.7, and his team averages 17.2 points per game. That's not great. And I'm not a big Sean Clifford guy by any stretch of the imagination. I'm definitely not a James Franklin guy. We sure as hell know that. So I'm really tempted to say Auburn and what should be an awesome atmosphere at Jordan-Hare will get some revenge this year. But I just can't put my faith in TJ Finley. I can't. I can't. I'm saying Penn State wins this game 24-17, 0-1 for the orange uniforms. Yeah, it's almost like we're we're in sync again, man. Because I I actually kind of feel like Penn State could win this one pretty big. Uh, yeah, I mean to your point, you look up and down these rosters, and like you said, a home game for Penn State, and it's like, what what about Auburn right now makes me believe in them? Um, like I'm not even trying to be mean, but it's like even in previous years, it's like well you had Tank Bigsby, you had like these couple of things, and, and you know talking about Finley, I just thought about this like. There's a real argument that uh, Scott Linehan's the best offensive coordinator he's ever had, which is really tough considering he was not a good offensive coordinator. Uh, but yeah, it's just hard to build on anything in that environment. It's hard to, you know, it, it's 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 just, I don't know. I think I I I I we talked about the Ashford thing. I thought I still think he should be starting, but it's too late. The runway is gone. Is so it? This feels like one of those. I mean, you can't, you don't want to do the Dan Mullen here and start him or play him heavily in this game against Penn State because Agreed. it's just, you know, so at this point, you know, the, the haze in the barn, you got to, I, I don't want to give another coach metaphor, but you got to go with the guy that you went with this long, but iron sharpens um, iron. Point, yeah, you know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but point being, it's like maybe this is the loss that can turn around their season. Like maybe mm-hmm. they all look around and say, like, what's the ceiling of this football team if we lose to Penn State? Now, like you said, Auburn, even with Finley, has done some wild things. Um, and you can never really count Auburn out, but this just feels like you got to have something you lean on. And it even feels like their ground game just isn't what it used to be. Well, I mean, the ground game has gotten off to a really good start, albeit against the likes of San Jose State and Mercer. I mean, they're, I think they're number 13 in the country right. in rushing. Take that for what it is. 
this is what actually matters running against a defense like this. If you can do this against that's them. what I'm saying. And you're yeah. right. Like, I don't want to dump on what they've put on tape so far, but just in terms of my faith and how that will translate, it's not there yet. We asked all these questions about the Auburn offensive line throughout the offseason. Right. None of those questions are all of a sudden gone just because you ran the ball against Mercer and San Jose State. Those questions are still there. Yes. We're going to be asking them in this game. And when you're seeing all those loaded boxes, I don't know that the Auburn offensive line is capable of imposing its will. So that's why I worry about this. That's why I worry about TJ Finley and those obvious throwing situations. Although Sean Clifford's going to open the door. He we've look, we've seen enough Sean Clifford. He's like 24, another one of these 24 year old quarterbacks, <laughs> year six. He's going to open the door for you at some point. He's going to give you that interception that just makes you say, Oh my God, what was he looking at? Every single angle, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And you say to yourself, that's what we have to capitalize on. Those can't be the balls that slip through your hands. Those have to be returned for touchdowns because those opportunities could be few and far between, but they will be there at some point on Saturday. It's going to happen. And you're going to look back on this moment. And you're going to say, Connor told me this would happen. And it did. As for the game result. Yeah, I'll probably be wrong on that. All right. You know what? I just want to say really quick. I said this was at Penn state and I knew it wasn't, but we started off talking about the whiteout and it totally threw me upside down. I know it's a home game for Auburn and that still doesn't stay opinion. I'm sorry. Good cleanup. All right. Good cleanup. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, it's... Just, I just wanted to be sure. Cause I knew it was at Penn state last year and it was like down to the wire and, it, it, and I didn't want to give them home field points because I knew where it was, but yeah, still it doesn't change anything that we've been no. saying. No. Yeah. That's I, I still have Penn state going, going on the road and winning that football game. Vandy, Northern Illinois, huge showdown on Saturday. Two and a half point favorite Northern Illinois is the over under I have is one bottle of champagne popped because of Vandy's potential to hit the over on two and a half regular season wins. Remember, every single Vandy game is high stakes until they actually win again. And then it gets kind of boring. And they will, Connor. We believe in them. Do we? Do we though? Well, uh, they have so many chances. I feel like they have to eventually. I don't know. Interesting potential development for the doors. <laughs> <laughs> I just moved right past that. Just, AJ, yeah. AJ Swan cut, came in for Mike Wright. Looked really good. True freshman. Vandy fans want to see more of him. Vandy's official Twitter account, which I'm sure everybody follows, has set for updates, of course. They tweeted out a video of AJ Swan throwing some darts in practice. Interesting. Uh-oh. Don't do that a lot from your official account, tweeting out videos of your backup looking that good. Just something to remember. Mike Wright is still QB1 until he isn't. Um, he's good when he's got a lead, but not so great in the obvious passing situations. I wouldn't be surprised if Vandy became a bit unconventional with their quarterback situation. They gave Swan the refs the second they fall behind by three scores or something like that. They could definitely fall behind by three scores in this one because their pass defense has been atrocious so far. Michigan State transfer Rocky Lombardi isn't just an all-name team guy. He can sling it. Northern Illinois won the MAC last year, all right? Don't sleep on the Huskies. They rank top 10 in the country percentage of returning production. Their defense, however, has been a train wreck, and they blew a, a comeback attempt against who? Tulsa. Don't sleep on Tulsa, as Will always says. Listen, you don't sleep on Tulsa. That's one thing I've learned. Yes. That's why the line, though, is only two and a half. Northern Illinois is favored by two and a half. But I say nobody gets out of DeKalb alive, okay? My brother used to play summer league baseball. Cal, Illinois. Back in the day. Shout out to the DeKalb County Liners. I used to bring sunflower seeds to games every single day. I, I take that back. I didn't go every single day. I went a lot. I would bring sunflower seeds every single time. I would spit them onto this little raised turf thing that they had for seeding. 20-year-old Connor was too lazy to get a spit cup. Not my proudest moment, whatever it happened. If that thing is still there, I can promise you that there are some sunflower seeds on that turf with my DNA on it. Clearly, 
I'm biased here. Good to know. I've learned a lot about you through this podcast, Connor. Love sunflower seeds. Who doesn't, man? <laughs> I'm saying Northern Illinois wins this game 38-24. Uh, you, you didn't have a score pr- prediction. We can just roll through, right? Yeah, I, I'm thinking NIU as well. Okay, good. Louisiana Monroe, number three, Alabama, 49-point spread. I don't need to tell you who the favorite is. The over-under I have, one flashback to that time when Alabama lost to Louisiana Monroe back in 2007. Yeah. One of the happened. happiest days of my life, Carter. Was it really? That shouldn't be. That should not. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I just, we're haters. My whole household are haters. So watching yeah. that, we were like, ha! Ah! And then it quickly it. got bad for us. <laughs> I get it. Somebody is going to look back on that and say, never say never. You know, Louisiana mm-hmm. Monroe shows up. Hey, they were a big underdog back then. Uh, it probably ignores the fact that all of these current Alabama players were somewhere between the ages of like three and seven. Mm-hmm. Alabama was just a little bit different back then dealing with sanctions, all that stuff. Fun to look back on though, which I did. Bama was a 24 and a half point favorite. They didn't score a point in the final 42 minutes of the game. Go ask AM what it's like to not score an offensive touchdown in the final 40 minutes of a game against the Sunbelt team. That was mean too. That was really mean. I'm in a mean mood. No, today. that's deserved. That feels different. Okay. <laughs> It's too bad that was like three years before Twitter really became a thing. Because can you imagine the takes that would have been flying about first-year coach Nick Saban in Alabama on Twitter? It's one thing to get it from Alabama radio. You mm-hmm. listen to Fine Bomb, something like that. All right, you're getting it there. But to where everybody is going to see and be able to process that on a Monday morning, oh my gosh, that would have been incredible. $4 million to lose to Louisiana Monroe? Should have stayed in the NFL. Those takes would have been everywhere. I'm a loser, so I went back. I read the AP story recapping this game. <laughs> I did. This is sad. This is how I spend my Wednesdays. Um, there was a quote from John Parker Wilson that's wild to look back on, given what Bama became soon thereafter. He said, mm-hmm. I think it was pretty embarrassing. We let a lot of people down. We shouldn't have lost. We're Alabama. We're supposed to win, and we're not doing it right now. You can't score 14 points and expect to win the game. Times have changed just a little bit. Just a teeny, teeny, tiny bit. Alabama soon started scoring about 20 points and allowing about three. And they did exactly. that for about 10 years. And nobody else won during those 10 years. So that's yep. great for all of us. Exactly. They, they were right. <laughs> Can't score 14 points, win a football game. Well, unless you're talking about, you know, Bama LSU. We don't need to get into that. We don't need to get into that. Um, Bama's not scoring 14 points in this one. Unless we're talking about like the first five minutes of this game. More likely is a bounce back game. They get the bad taste out of their mouths. As tempting as it is to side with Terry Bowden because he's got a winning <laughs> record against Alabama. <laughs> That means nothing. It's never tempting to side with Terry, but I want to say that does not reflect the views of me or this, yeah. this podcast as a whole. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, yeah, no, don't think that's going to matter in this one. Bama wins 55 to three, and we just get a fun little trip down memory lane talking about 2007. That's it. I just want to say on that note really quick. Uh, yeah, those days of like WJOX or jocks were just so legendary because that was when Auburn was like coming off of like their best years with Tuberville and everything. And it was kind of like, a oh, oh, Saban's here, but it's not going to change anything. And all these Auburn fans were calling in so reckless talking about that. And I remember that like it was yesterday. It was very funny. And then again, the narrative shifted. But that was just a very funny period in time when Alabama was bad. Auburn was like really good and everything felt like it was in the twilight zone. Different times. Very, very different times. Now we just get to talk about whether or not Alabama is, is not going to win a national championship because they've won a game on the road against Texas. Mm-hmm. Different. Very, very different. Yeah. yeah okay. Let's go to a game that I know you're going to be very dialed into on Saturday. 
Mississippi State's a two-and-a-half-point favorite against LSU. The over-under I have, nine combined sacks. I'm definitely thinking about this one more with Mississippi State getting to Jaden Daniels than I am about LSU getting to Will Rogers, but I do think that is a potentially dangerous spot for Will Rogers. I don't know that the raw sack numbers tell the whole stories on, on, on both sides for Mississippi State, and here's what I mean by that. The best number for MSU and why it can protect Will Rogers in this one is because, oh, well, they've only allowed three sacks in these first two games, both of which were against FBS competition. That's really good considering they throw the ball 50 times a game. You'll Mm -hmm. take that. We talked all offseason about what it'll look like without Charles Cross, who had himself kind of a rough fourth quarter on a Monday night football game trying to block Bradley Chubb. That was really bad. He got cooked twice in that one. Um, mm-hmm. Here, Here's the number that concerns me just a touch. Mississippi State's new starting left tackle, Quatrivius Johnson. He ranks dead last in PFF's pass blocking grade among SEC tackles. Granted, the sacks haven't been there, and he's obviously – got a larger sample size because he has more of those pass blocking snaps than anybody among SEC tackles. We know that. But against this LSU team with Ojolari and Gay, that could be a major issue for them on the road. I do think, though, that the bigger mismatch will be Jaden Daniels getting protection against Zach Garnett's defense. We respect the 3 Very course. unique. So unique to prepare for. They're going to bring mm-hmm. pressure in a lot of different ways. They have the guys to be able to do that now because they're healthier with those edge rushers. Tyrus Wheat, Jet Johnson are going to get to know D- Jaden Daniels very well by the end of this mm-hmm. one. If LSU can't get those receivers involved, it's going to feel like a repeat of the Florida State game from start to finish. And I don't wish that type of evil on any LSU fan, including you, Will. Okay? I do not. Yeah. I didn't wake up I wouldn't, Tuesday. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy, to be honest. <laughs> it was rough. It's rough. Yeah. I did not wake up choosing violence, but do you remember what Mississippi State was ranked in 2014 when Dak came into Death Valley, pulled off the upset? What was Mississippi State ranked? Oh, gosh. Um, man, that was LSU was ranked for that, too. Uh, was it like that? That was I think it was I don't know if they beat Auburn before LSU, but that was like a string of ranked wins. Um, gosh, I'm going to say like 20th. Trick question. They weren't ranked. They were not right. Yeah, I was about to say, I think that was the first one. And then they won like against like teams that would not finish ranked. They won like three or four of those games. It was like us, AM, Auburn. Anyway. Yeah, different now because LSU unranked. They were eighth, I believe, at the time of that matchup yep. as well. Um, but this could be history repeating itself in some way. I'm not saying Mississippi State's going to be number one in the first playoff poll. Not saying that. Not saying that. <laughs> All I'm saying. So many people are sleeping on Mississippi State. I wonder how many people have actually watched them play football because of when their games have happened, that lightning right. delay against Memphis and how that obviously they had a really late finish. And then the way that, that of course, set up with Pac-12 after dark. I think this is Mississippi State's coming out party. Had this upset in the preseason. It's not considered an upset anymore because Mississippi State is favored. I think they win this game 31 to 24 at LSU. Will... Where are you going uh, at this one? Because I, I got to imagine, like, how, how are you feeling, I should say, going into this? Because being a home underdog against Mississippi State, I don't know that if that's happened in your lifetime. I should have looked that up. Yeah, so for my entire life, I've made a little mini tradition to go to the LSU-Mississippi State game. Uh, first, because it's around my birthday. And happy early second, birthday, Will, by the people. way. Uh, September 20th is, is Will's birthday. Everybody yes. wish him a happy birthday. 
look at this lad. What a good friend. Um, yeah, but there was a period of time where we won 18 of 19 matchups against Mississippi State. So it was perfect because you could go to a game, you could watch your team win, you could celebrate your birthday. It was great. Well, in this last what five, six years, going back to um going back to uh, who's the dual threat quarterback? I'm blanking on his name. That was there forever. Nick Fitzgerald. Nick Fitzgerald, duh. Um, Nick Fitzgerald had a great one in 2017 against us, and it's kind of been back and forth since then. Um, but point being, I'm 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 hopeful. I'm gonna go ahead and pick LSU because you gotta hope that they win one of these, you know. But this is a game that we disagreed on in the preseason, yep. and that we were we were called too low on LSU for you saying that LSU would lose this game and me saying they would win. And obviously, that was with us both thinking they would beat FSU. And to your point about the 3-3-5 defense, you know, the plus about that in this type of situation is it's not about your interior pressure. It's, as you said, the ability to confuse blitzes and bring guys from the outside. True. So a guy like Jaden Daniels, who has a little bit of the happy feet syndrome, that could be pretty bad for him. Seeing, we talk about blindside pressure, a guy that's used to seeing three or four guys in the in the box and then kind of spins out. Well, boom, here's another guy hitting you in the face that you're not, you know, ready for. Um, But, you know, that being said, I, I really do like what I've seen outside of the second half or of the first half of that FSU game. I truly feel like LSU has been a different team since kind of that wake up call at halftime. Um, and I, I really like Mississippi State and I, I truly view this as a pick em game. I just feel like, you know, Brian Kelly has fallen flat in his opener in the Superdome. And it's going to be a tough scene for him if he loses, you know, one of those Saturday night and Death Valley games. Um, so I'm really just picking with my heart here and hoping that they, you know, show us something because you're right. All the logical money is on Mississippi State. I was one of my friends was like, wow, that would be so embarrassing to lose Mississippi State. I was like, not really. You just don't understand this good football team. team. It was yeah. a really good team. We, you know, we talked about them finishing potentially third in the West, um, you know, by Arkansas and Bama. And you talk about, you know, having Will Rogers, having the, the foundation that they have in an SC West that is kind of moving, you know, talking about Lane not finding a quarterback, losing his DC, um, Auburn having to go with orange uniforms. Uh, <laughs> a lot of that, a lot is happening kind of below Mississippi State to where I feel pretty good about them finishing like third. Uh, but that being said, hopefully this is a game where Brian Kelly can show us something because if not, SC doesn't get, uh, doesn't get a ton easier, I would doesn't. say doesn't this is the type of game that you're going to be asked to win every single time if you're the head coach right. LSU again we don't rush the judgment on your one coaches but it's it's something that he's going to have to face and if you start off one and two having lost your only two games against FBS competition people start to turn on you that's the way that this works I'm not saying that they want you fired necessarily or anything like that but Welcome to the SEC. This could be a welcome to the SEC type game for Brian Kelly alternatively it could be a game in which he says hey we're figuring some things out. We do feel like we got over that bad start. We're getting our receivers more involved. It doesn't necessarily end up with some sort of dramatic thing with Keishon Booty. And we feel like, all right, we have a bit of an identity and we're going to know who we are in a very short period of time. But I do think Mississippi State wins this game. We usually do not talk about any games involving FCS teams. <laughs> but we must talk about this one, Connor. We have to. Missouri State against number 10, Arkansas. If you're saying to yourself, why are you talking about this, Connor? Well, that's because Bobby Petrino is the Missouri State head coach. And boy, am I excited to see all of the different reactions for this one. We have to talk about this. Not doing any picks. Arkansas is going to win big. Spoiler alert. Sam Pittman talked about how he's actually grateful for Bobby Petrino because whenever he's on the recruiting trail, he talks about the potential that they showed before Petrino got on the motorcycle and changed the entire trajectory of his career. I didn't realize this until I read the piece um, from Chris Lowe on ESPN.com this week. Arkansas's PR staff advised against a press conference. 
for obvious reasons. I didn't realize that. I thought that was kind of like a, mm -hmm. a group thing. Hey, let's get out ahead of the message here. Clearly there was stuff that was, that they were covering up, but the picture of Petrino with the face injuries and the neck brace, uh, the, it's so infamous. It's as infamous as maybe any individual picture in college football in the last, I, I don't know, 10, 15 years, I guess you gotta, you gotta say 15 years. And they're, they're only infamous because of what happened afterwards with everybody finding out about the 25-year-old mistress who worked in the athletic department that Petrino gave money to, yada, yada, yada. But I initially was thinking about the sliding doors. I love thinking about sliding doors. It's fascinating. Oh, yeah. What would have happened if Petrino had gotten from point A to point B on that day back in 2012? <laughs> if he had you know? traveled successfully. <laughs> if he, no, no accident, anything like that. Like, they were coming off a two-year stretch of going 21 and five, and they were 12 and four in SEC play with most recently a top five finish. Arkansas fans know this, but the rest of the college football world, it's easy to forget this. Then John L. Smith happened and boom, just like <laughs> that, the momentum is gone. And the more I think about it though, I actually don't know that, that it would have changed Arkansas in the 2010s that much because Anybody who ever encountered Bobby Petrino for roughly, you know, that 10 year stretch, they would say, yeah, he hated everybody. That's who he was. <laughs> he might not have flamed out in epic fashion had he been able to, you know, complete the ride, so to speak. Shout out Uber. Um, but he's someone who has changed. Get this. He has changed schools slash teams 16 different times in his career, and he's never made it to the end of year five at any of them that's crazy moving sucks why does he want to move so much why does he like moving i don't get moving that. like random places too like what is it missouri state now yes missouri state yeah he was, the dude was probably always going to have some sort of strange exit that would have left the program in shambles and ultimately it was going to take somebody like Pittman coming into to Arkansas eventually and cleaning things up in a totally genuine, personable way, which we know Petrino was not those things. But mm -hmm. I, I'm sure a lot of Arkansas fans felt like that window kind of just slammed shut a bit too soon and without any real sort of succession plan. Again, this is not an anti-John L. Smith podcast. It's just not a pro-John L. Smith podcast. The timing <laughs> of the move after the coaching cycle and the way that it happened was brutal. Absolutely brutal. But anyway, this game is on ESPN Plus, SEC Network Plus. So hopefully you have a login, streaming service, something like that. Watch Bobby Petrino's reception in Fayetteville. Really excited to see that. I think he gets some boos, some cheers. And the cheers will be entirely because Arkansas is a top 10 team. Um, more on that later. We're going to get to a different part of that in, in Pittman as well. Spoiler alert. Um, but yeah, Bobby Petrino returning to Fayetteville, man. Could have drawn it up any better. Chef's kiss. This is what you want with with a random FCS matchup like this. So let me ask you a question, Connor. You know, we always say like the early, like the 2000s SEC would have been so much better, different with Twitter. Do you think that that stuff was able to happen because there was no Twitter? Or do you think things were just that wild back then? Well, there's there's Twitter. I mean, when this happened in 2012, there, there, I, I remember the tweets about this. Twitter was just kind of getting going a little bit, like right around then. That's really when it's picking up. But mm -hmm. I don't remember seeing – I remember the image more so than the video. Right. And I don't know if but that we saw that on ESPN. You know what I'm saying? Like we saw that like on TV, not like on our phone. Do you know what I'm saying? 
Yeah, no, and maybe maybe that is part of it. And maybe would it would have exploded? How could it have exploded any more though? Right? Like it just no. That's kind of the point. Is it's almost like the only thing that you could think of that's similar, and not to like randomly. Well, you got to randomly bring this up. The McElwain thing is the closest I can go. I can mm. think about that was like this is something with Twitter that was similarly weird. That was just like this is everywhere. Oh, you're saying the Patrino yeah. had happened before, like early 2000s back before we got this oh, stuff all of Petrino you know yeah, what I'm saying yeah. like the whole like leaving the Falcons like doing the thing with the neck brace like and and it's just he's a wild character and it's almost it almost feels like him coaching Lamar Jackson feels like it was a fever dream too because right. he just rolling stoned his way out of there too but yeah it's funny when you talk about these coach homecomings because talk about coach boom and everything there's like a little bit of animosity there but it's like if you're an Arkansas fan it's like well you figured it out you know if this is one of the Chad Morris years not only are you worried about losing this game, but you're also even like furious at yeah. Bobby Petrino for putting you in a position to be coached by Chad Morris. So it's great to have that nice little like, um, you know, a great example is the Liberty thing with um, Hugh Freeze with, last year. Uh, yep. With Hugh Freeze. Because it's like, OK, we have Lane Kiffin. We're happy. We're happy mm-hmm. that you're happy. Like you're over there. We're over here. It's all cool. It's always nice when there's that type of a homecoming where both parties have kind of moved on versus like the, oh, we're still terrible. That's basically your fault. You know, right. the Tennessee Lane Kiffin homecoming was was a yeah. sight to see. And I, I don't know if that would be different if it were year two with Hypo and if Tennessee was in the top 15, like they currently are, if there would have been this different reception of, hey, we figured things. And, and to be to be fair. That wasn't entirely for Kiffin. That was for the officiating. Like we right. forget that there because was a lot of to be, yeah. There, there were there were two key moments in that game that led to it getting to that point. It just happened to coincide with the fact that Lane Kiffin was returning to Neyland. But yeah, I, I agree with you. It does matter, and fans can deny it all they want. If you were still struggling through the Chad Morris era, era like you would be livid and you would be frustrated that this guy left you in such disarray. Although there were plenty of Arkansas fans who of course wanted him to be able to stay and have that job and said, well, you know, then it was just going to become very, it was an untenable situation. Couldn't happen, Mm -hmm. but an interesting story. Nonetheless, one of the the fascinating stories of the 21st century in this sport. We're talking Akron and Tennessee. I almost stumbled. Why are we talking Akron, Connor? They're an FBS team. They count. They are That's FBS. not why I'm asking. Okay, Tennessee is a 47 and a half point favorite. The over-under that I have, 16 times that I'll say, give Joe three or four more years. All right? Just, just give it a <laughs> little bit of time. There we go. You knew it was coming. Joe Moorhead's return to the SEC. Pump for my guy. But I'm also realistic about my guy. Okay? You know, we talked about it when we had him on back in December. It's going to take mm-hmm. a little bit of time. You don't exactly go into Akron and, and, and turn things over. Just like that. They were they were pretty bad last year. They were really, really bad. They're not very good this year, but you got to give them time. Three, four years. We don't judge coaches based on year one. We don't do that on this podcast. We especially don't judge Joe Moorhead based on year one at Akron, who was definitely one of the sorriest FBS teams in America last year. I'm going to be totally honest. Joe's boys ain't staying within half a hundred against Tennessee. They're not. They couldn't stay within half a hundred against Michigan State. Even if the Vols are a little bit banged up from a physical game against Pitt, I still would expect to look up and be like, oh, Tennessee up 35 to nothing, started the second quarter. I think they cover, and we're going to see a whole lot of Joe Milton throwing 80-yard passes, though not necessarily completing 80-yard passes. But I'm just excited that Joe Moorhead is back in the SEC, even if it is just for a day, and a day in which his team is probably not going to be able to keep it very close. So, yeah, you're darn right we're going to talk about Akron. Of course we are. I, 
I got to convert some people into believers of Joe Moorhead the other day. Love uh, it. We were talking about, we were talking about like someone was like, it's crazy how Penn State had like all this talent come through there. You know, talking about Saquon, Miles Sanders, like da da da. And their current OC is obviously different. And they were like, who is the OC? I was like, buddy, do I know his name? Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah, Joe Moorhead's, um, you know, we're, we're rooting for our guy. Um, have, have you engaged him on if he plans to bring LeBron into the fold or what's his move there? LeBron is a tough get. He's a tough mm-hmm. get at this point. I did remember when we had him on in December. I talked him into being two point conversion Joe. Um, right, 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 right. So once Maction starts, I think he's going to wait on that. He didn't score a touchdown last week, so he didn't get a chance to go for two. But um, when that happens, we'll, we'll see a little bit more uh, of an exciting offense, I think. But yeah, they they were left in very very rough shape. We we saw them play against we saw Akron play against Auburn last year, and it was really really rough. But yeah, no, LeBron is not in the fold just yet. You gotta you gotta be able to win a MAC championship. I think I think LeBron is 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 definitely one of those front runner type guys. We know with his <laughs> Yankee fandom. I just thinking that I was like, if Joe Morgan gets the ring, I bet he'll be at a game. <laughs> yeah, LeBron's up there in the suite, just rocking a Zips hat pretending like he's been a diehard fan his entire life, just like he was with mm-hmm. the Indians when the Cubs beat him in the World Series. Um, yeah, had that one just stored, ready to go. Uh, exactly. yeah. yeah, LeBron can finally be on your team, Connor. This could be massive. Yeah, Le- LeBron and I are the biggest Akron supporters in existence. I support Akron. Yeah, just just don't think they're going to cover in this one. Right. I'm saying, listen, if we could be objective and have fun, or we could be hopeful and objective. I'm right there with you. Yes. <laughs> South Florida. Especially since Josh Heupel has learned how to play in the f- the subsequent three quarters of football. Again, this is this is terrifying for the rest of you. We thought he was only a one quarter man. He has the whole dollar put together now. It's scary. Huge stuff. point of emphasis. He talks about that a lot. He was very open about mm-hmm. that. He he was not he was not one to shy away from how big of a talent, how big of a drop off there was from the first to the second quarter. He was very, very clear. We need to be able to get better. That's on coaching staff. That's on, that's on us, not necessarily just defaulting to some of the things that we did early and assuming that's going to continue to work, but so far so good, not just a one quarter team, Tennessee, South Mm -hmm. Florida on the road, number 18, Florida, Florida is a 24 and a half point favorite. The over under I have 38.1 yards per scrimmage touch for Anthony Richardson. A little high, just a little bit. <laughs> I mean, against USF, it feels low. I'll be honest. <laughs> well, why did I pick 38.1? Well, why do you because think? Because he's done it before. <laughs> because he did it last year against USF. Yep. And I'm guessing that number is probably going to come down. I'm assuming. But this was the game where we saw the arm talent for the first time from Anthony Richardson. He averaged 51 yards per pass attempt last year. 51. Very, very good. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that number also comes down, but this is a back-to-basics game for Richardson, for the Florida offense. You've got to find that groove. You're going to need to know who you are next week at Tennessee. That's not just a Richardson thing either. Even this running back rotation, we need to see them kind of solidify what that's going to look like. I thought in that Kentucky game that Napier should have fed Trevor Etienne a little bit more in the second half. Of course, the younger brother of Travis Etienne looks really good early on as a true freshman. He sort of did that thing where as a play caller Napier did this where he saw ETN get stuffed twice. I think it was. And then he said, well, I guess we're not doing that again. Although he didn't get stuffed as bad as Naquan Wright on that one play in the backfield where he just got totally blown up. That was rough, mm-hmm. but 
only 32 offensive snaps for ETN in his first two games compared to 52 for Montreal Johnson. And I get it. There's a trust factor with Montreal Johnson, who has been really solid himself after coming over with Napier from Louisiana. And I'm not saying that Napier needs to totally deviate from him, not saying that at all, but I kind of like to see Florida start to have some of those drives where they just say, Hey, we're going to run the ball nine times in a row because we don't think you can stop it with this trio that we have. Cole Kubelik pointed out in the opener against Utah, how much it looked like Florida's offensive line improved and they were actually pushing people around at the point of attack. And that's something you hadn't seen from Florida in a decade. Lean on that in this one, open up the play action, get some of those big throwing windows for Richardson to try and build his confidence back up. I think Florida rolls. I think they put up a lot of points. Oh, here's something for you. You'll like this. Will. Oh boy. Remember the Felipe Hail Mary against Tennessee in 2017, right? That Florida won on. Of course I do. Yeah. Who was Tennessee's defensive coordinator? Oh, gosh. It wasn't Shoop, was it? You bet it was. Who is USF's defensive coordinator? Oh, no. Bob Shoop, coming back to the swamp. Gators win big, real big. Man, do you think it could actually get worse than that game as a DC? And boy, will it. Um, yeah, I mean, you want to, you know, USF is one of those fun teams we kind of like grew up, you know, when they were number two and. 07 and we were excited about they just find a way to get a little bit worse every year and why you know last year they got the brakes beaten off and we joked about the invention of us saying this team is sorry was literally talking yeah. about usf last year yeah. and i feel like they've somehow gotten worse i i don't know i want to be so positive to them and jeff scott what he's doing this boy is four and 19 since 2020 it, it, and and now you know they have a coach who is going to play this nuclear warhead this u.s this south florida destroyer that is anthony richardson the entire game so really it just feels like it's they're going to cover they're going to roll like you said it's a bounce back game for napier to build some confidence and richardson could be coming out of this game with like season stats that look awesome so yeah i, I got florida in this one yeah, it's too bad. I, I went to to a game at USF in 2017, and I was I was doing mm -hmm. a feature um, on their quarterback Flowers, and I remember thinking this this is kind of a fun atmosphere. Like if, if they oh if dude, he was good. Flowers really good. and Marlon Mack, like they had some guys on that team. Dearness Johnson, yeah. back in the day, yeah, they were they were good. They were really good. They were a fun team to watch. It's frustrating that they can't sustain it. a lot of competition in the state of Florida. Even Power Five teams having a tough time sustaining success right now uh but yeah i think that one will be lopsided speaking of teams in the state of florida miami going on the road number 13 miami somehow some way um speaking of teams that shouldn't be ranked as high as they are a&m is number 24 team in the country they are also five and a half point favorites for this one the over under i have one haynes king snap that's it just one i don't know if you're jimbo fisher now <laughs> is the time that you make the move to Max Johnson. And I say that as somebody who was really intrigued by Haynes King, but Miami has Kevin Steele and they have Charlie Strong. Again, another shout out USF. That's not great for what this offense has shown so far. Those two guys know how to frustrate a quarterback. Even though Max Johnson has been prone to lock in on one guy and he might not be as physically talented as Haynes King, I have to think that he gives you the better chance to win this football game. You know what doesn't give AM a good chance to win? If the midnight yell video goes live before kickoff, credit AM for essentially trying to play internet whack a mole and delete every video of the AM yell leader calling App State Hillbilly College before promptly getting embarrassed by the Mountaineers. No idea what kind of lazy stereotypes they'll have for, um, for Miami. Over under hey, listen, the Texas AM, if you're listening, I never posted that video. I've been DMCA'd before. Leave me alone. Yes. I laugh from afar. 
It's not my problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, you only get DMCA'd for posting Backstreet Boys videos. Yes. Not, I, I don't, anything like that, I leave it alone. So don't come for me, come for all those blogs or whatever, or no one and just take it like everyone else does. The over under uh, for that, I, I have um, three of the Midnight Yell leader, uh, three Midnight Yell leader references to the classic Will Smith track, Welcome to Miami. Gonna be some stereotypes from that. Fun fact about oh, that gosh. song. This is like almost more ridiculous than like the Catholics versus convicts thing because like the, where AM is at right now as a program and just all of that going into Miami where they're like riding an all-time high is just gonna be chaos. I'm excited. I have some fun facts about um Welcome to Miami, the song. Do we care to hear those? <laughs> sure, let's do it. Eva Mendez is one of the girls in the video who says Bienvenido a Miami. And then a few years later, she's starring with Will with Will Smith in Hitch. She actually told him, yeah, I starred in that video and he didn't remember. Imagine having a life so good in the 90s where you can just black out Eva Mendez casually being in one of your music videos. Amazing. Will Smith lived the best life in the 90s. Life for AM in the here and now, not so great. Here's where I'm at with this whole thing. I think there's actually a decent chance that AM wins and covers minus five and a half because I do think the Canes are not quite at what that number 13 ranking would suggest. And betting on a mm-hmm. team that was just totally embarrassed and was just the national punching bag, that's probably a good recipe for success. These are college kids. They, they do hear that stuff and they will probably come out ready to go. But I still need to see it from AM before I'm willing to pick the Aggies. And by it, I mean some sign of offensive life. So I will take the Canes to win outright 24 to 21. This is such an important game for AM trying to figure it out because if they don't, buddy, the defensive minds that they got coming up this week, obviously Kevin Steele, Charlie Strong. Next week, Barry Odom. Week after that, Zach Arnett. Then some guy named Nick Saban. So if you're an AM fan, I think you're just hoping to get to two and two in that stretch right there, that four game stretch, and then not already have four losses by mid-October because if that happens, you're going to be wishing that people made eight and four jokes about your team. You should be prayed for eight and four. Yeah, Connor, I, uh, you know, in the preseason, one of my bolder takes was that I thought Miami was going to win this game. Unfortunately, App State, App State seemed to have beat me to the punch because no one was predicting that upset. Yeah. Um, and, and sadly, that does change things. It makes me feel like this game is going to be better for A&M. Um, to your point, it's like, what does A&M uh, still have to show us? Maybe it's Max Johnson. That's one of the few things that they can move around. Uh, as a Max Johnson appreciator, more than most people, still feel like that isn't going to be enough. And I'm, I'm glad that you brought in um, Kevin Steele and Charlie Strong. I love both of those hires. I weirdly don't trust either one of them individually, but somehow both of them together makes me feel like it's a very sure. good staff, if that makes sense. Like, Kevin Steele was good. Like, he was good at yeah, all. Yeah, no, he he was really good at Auburn. Um, there's Vine and LSU too, and I I think that both of these guys have been you know, big time coaches and coordinators. Um, but yeah, I just the thing about A and M and a team that's kind of reeling is like I said, it's like what are you going to change? What what can you come out and like um, you know, okay. Uh, so I, I hate to use another LSU example, but I don't want to dump on other fan bases, guys. That's why I do that. So I, so LSU right when they fired Les Miles and they came out with Coach O, they came in there like we're going to run the ball, we're going to be hard nosed, we're going to change everything about how we're doing our protections and our run schemes, we're going to change our practices. So right now it's like they're not at that point yet. Like I feel like they lost to App State, but did they did they learn something? So if they come out there with Max Johnson, that's going to pr- make me feel like you know 
going to make me feel like that they did. But, you know, to the point that we keep hammering this buyout, it's like when a person has no incentive to change because they know they're unfireable, you get a person who is a lame duck yep. coach. And that's exactly what I feel like I'm looking at here with Jimbo Fisher in that if they lose too straight, if they're, if they're reeling, maybe he does something drastic. But throughout last year, he just kept trotting out Zach Calzada and running the same tired offense because it worked. Didn't have any other options. Didn't have any no, other no, no, I I know, but I'm saying he didn't get creative. He didn't try yeah. to run any RPOs. He didn't try to even do like wildcat stuff because me, my dumb self, I'd be like, all right, so we got a tight end who used to play quarterback. Like what yeah. can we scheme up here to do something new? Not to start, but like to run a couple of plays. And he just never changes anything he's doing. So I, I think Miami, obviously, you know, you don't love what, you, what you've seen out of them so far. I agree, but I think this is their game. It's at A&M. I think it's going to be massive for A&M. But um, I asked Old Rock and he said he was scared this week, Connor. Look, man, I get it. Jimbo's not giving up play calling duties, by the way. No, certainly not. That's the thing. Yeah. Why is Jimbo not giving up play calling duties? Because he has no incentive to. He not only does he have no incentive to, there's nobody on that staff who can call plays. So, I mean, no disrespect to James Coley, but I mean, come on, Georgia fans, you know, I want James <laughs> you know, Coley calling plays. You, you get it. Yeah. I've already closed my eyes and pictured the $2 million deal that AM is going to give Mark Whipple to come to College Station next year. <laughs> yes, that would be such a perfect hire. And this back and forth that he and Jimbo are going to have. And Jimbo, because Jimbo doesn't even have a scapegoat right now. And I think Jimbo needs right. a scapegoat. It's all oh, on yeah. him. And I don't think he likes that. And you know what? He's not particularly good at calling plays anymore. I'm just going to say it. Didn't think it last year. I didn't even think they were particularly inventive in 2020. But when you have an offensive line that can clear the way like that, it makes life a whole lot easier. So mm -hmm. I do think that they're going to have changes after this season in that department. No, Jimbo Fisher is not getting fired. $86 million. That's not happening anytime soon. Um, but Miami, I think, will win this game. Lock of the week. We're 0-2. We're like Notre Dame. A lot of promise <laughs> for the future. But right now... Struggling a little bit, just threw a pick six against Marshall. That's okay. That's fine. Another Whatever. One. <laughs> Another one. Ironically enough, West Virginia did have that pick six against Kansas in overtime, and that's why it was a 13-point game. You, you get what I'm saying. Yep. When in doubt, bet against Indiana football. <laughs> I like it. We're going to the bread and butter here, which is kind of suffering. Let's Look, go. I am allowed to say this as an alum who took a decade paying off out-of-state tuition Indiana ain't covering minus six and a half against Western Kentucky. I know that Western Kentucky's schedule has been hot garbage so far. Austin P and Hawaii. Hawaii shouldn't even count as an FBS team. They're not this year. But give me Tyson Helton. Give me the Hilltoppers. Going to Bloomington. They're going to force Connor Basilek into some obvious throwing situations. I watched that entire Illinois-Indiana game on that Friday night, week one. First game in a new system, which was, okay, understandable. Basilek had some rough moments. But, ugh. It was bad. It was bad. And they, they took a while to get going against Idaho too. I just don't have a lot of faith. And if I were a booster, which I'm not, I'm just a graduate who rooted for Indiana football when I was a freshman. And then I kind of just decided I'd rather tailgate um, and not have any sort of rooting interest and just watch everybody else play college football on Saturday. I would a hey, great decision by you. You're wise beyond your years. It was good. We watched a lot of SEC football in college. I'll say that we were <laughs> like, Hey, tailgate's over. Or are we going into the game? Who are they playing? No, no, that's not going to happen. Let's, let's go State, back. Now we're missing that one. Big dog. <laughs> We're good. We're good. Um, but if I were a booster, I would also say you guys know that Sean Chivers is not a feature back, right? I'm following this very closely. He already has more scrimmage touches than he had all of last year. They gave him the ball. He had 20 carries last game. 
Sean Shivers, five foot seven, five foot six. Sean Shivers is getting the rock that much. That's not great. That tells me a lot about where your depth is at. Give me Western Kentucky plus six and a half. It's not a hedge. It's not a hedge. Anybody listening to saying that that's a hedge? No, I'm just a realist. I said Joe Moorhead wasn't going to cover, and I said Indiana wasn't going to cover. Unbiased. I love that we're heading into this weekend. Me just, <laughs> just picking LSU for absolutely no reason. And then, and then you being like, I would bet money against my alma mater, actually. Right? We're really, we've gone full sicko. And we're only like, what, three weeks in at this point? <laughs> we really have. We really have. But yeah, should be a good slate. Excited. That, that The fact that we get a nine o'clock start, too, for Miami a and mm-hmm. I'll take that all day. That's that's better than, a, than 11.50. I can't do Pac-12 after dark every week. Now, that was a uh, that game didn't start until late too because Nebraska was too busy crapping its pants against Georgia Southern. <laughs> that was that was rough. It was it was rough. But yeah, this will end a little bit earlier. Should be a really good week three slate. Let's kick it to Trayvon Diggs. The reception uh, the reception that he had not great, a little bit spotty. Be patient with us, but still great stuff from somebody who has just exploded onto the scene in the NFL. So here is Trayvon Diggs. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Cowboys All-Pro Corner and former Alabama star Trayvon Dix. Trayvon is here on behalf of Saks Underwear. Uh, Trayvon, I got to congratulate you. Um, in addition to all the accolades so far in your career, um, I, I got to imagine that you and your brother, uh, Stefan, being named Chief Ball Officers for uh, for Saks, it, it adds a whole new meaning to the phrase ball hawking corner. <laughs> yeah most definitely um us being a chief ball officer i i, I think it was, it was a, a good thing because it, it matches with him and matches with me with intercepting passes and just being a ball hawk and you know it all ties in together so it's perfect I want to go back to your your commitment in college. Um, I remember how Maryland fans were convinced that you were going to follow in your brother's footsteps you're going to be a receiver at Maryland. Yeah. I know you love Penn State too. You want unofficials there. Tell me why you, you wanted know a to go. Lot. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I went back. I looked at the you know the two four seven, the recruiting stuff and all that, and I, I remember yeah. from back in the day. Uh, why did you want to go on your own path, and uh, why why did Saban's recruiting make such a lasting impression on you? Um, just being first of all, just being uh, at Alabama, I could just see for my visit like their standard and how they carried themselves and just, you know, like, yeah, they're, they're good men, good kids, good players. You know, we got a good coach to look up to. And, you know, just everything around there was just perfect for me. I needed that, you know, to get away from home and just become my own person, become my own man. So that's why I didn't want to go the same route, you know, different routes to be at the same path at the end of the day. That was my goal, go to the NFL. So, you know, just talking it over my brother, he was just like, you know it's going to be hard, but I know that you can do it. So just go and go down there and make sure you get it done. So it was nothing against Maryland or anything. Like, I would love to go to Maryland, but, you know, I just wanted to do my own thing, make my own choices and decisions. I like Penn State too a lot, but Penn State is not Alabama. So <laughs> that's what it came down to at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, and look, like I, I think for everybody who has been in that spot as a younger brother before, look, I like I dealt with that with my my older brother. A little bit different with you, I'd say your brother's a little bit more well known than mine was. But um, I, I think yeah. going on your own path, everybody kind of understands that. If Randy Edsall doesn't get fired at Maryland, do you and the late Dwayne Haskins, who is your guy, do do you guys both end up at Maryland? 
If he did or didn't? If Yeah, if, if he didn't get fired, do you think that you would have ended up at Maryland instead of Alabama? No chance. <laughs> simple as that. It's as simple as that. Billy okay. Napier recruited you at Bama too, right? Billy Napier was a big part of your recruitment. Um, yeah, a little bit. Him, uh, Mike Loxley. Um, we had a uh, they had a defensive back coach. They had a defensive back coach that um that was from where I was from, and I knew him really well. He coached my younger my older brother in high school. And, you know, we had a great relationship, and he basically was just telling me about it. He was there as well. So um, that's how that happened. When uh, when you made the full-time switch to corner after playing a little bit of everything your freshman year, you told the story, uh, I know, last year at a post-game press conference talking about how you cried when Saban told you that he wanted to switch you to corner. You called your brother. He told you, go get to work. You thanked Saban in your press conference last year. Uh, what kind of SEC receiver would you have been? Would you have been like an all-conference guy? Would you have been an all-American? Like, what's your upside? Um, that's a good question because we had – I don't know what would have happened. We had like six other people, six other wide receivers there that uh, – First round, yeah. Dalen Waddle, Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, uh, Calvin Ridley. Um, then we had some older guys too, Robert Foster there too. So we are whatever, SEC, whatever, to try to do the best. But we had a lot of guys in the room at the same time. So it was hard to get on the field. Yeah, and, and I think that – you know, watching the way that those guys all kind of developed, it's like, all right, it makes sense why you would want to be uh, playing in a different spot. I, I got to imagine one of those guys, though, going up against practice, like kind of pick your poison. That gets you so much better as a corner uh, going up against future first round talent all the time. How much do you kind of look back on that and you're like, wow, that was huge. And if I'd gone to a place that didn't have that receiver talent, there's no way that I would probably have been able to kind of adapt to the NFL as quickly as I have. No chance, no chance possible. Like all the all the receivers had their own, you know, style, their own way. Like Jalen Waddle had his own style, Ruggs had his own style, um, Devontae Smith had his own style. So I was seeing all of the top talent there then, you know, all the routes, everything, you know, and I play receivers, so I knew. So, you know, that was just a lot of help them preparing me for the NFL. They definitely did. So it worked out. What's your favorite saving memory that you have while you're in college? Or maybe it happened after college. Um, my favorite I got a lot. Uh, I just like how he never patted me on the back. Like he never was like, "Oh, you did this well. You did a good job." You know, every day was something I was doing wrong, and I felt like that made me hold myself accountable. To learn how to hold myself accountable and not ever look for it. Like, for example, like last season that I had, like it was cool or whatever. Like, I wasn't excited about it or anything. And I stayed the same because I want more for myself every day. I want to get better every day. I want to get better every game, every season. So, if you praise yourself, you might lose sight of that and lose track of that. Did you ever have any thoughts about, about transferring at any point? Because I know, you know, getting on the field at Alabama is really difficult. I know you dealt with injuries and whatnot, but, you know, it didn't really have that kind of season that you were probably hoping for until, until your senior year. Did you have any moment where you kind of thought to yourself, maybe there's a place for me uh, outside of Tuscaloosa? 
No, I've never thought about transferring ever. Even when I changed my position, I was salty about it, but I never thought about actually leaving. You know, I don't. I don't really believe in that. You know, just leaving and just giving up on something that you know you're here. You might as well. So if you're there, you better make it work. That's how I think. What's uh What's that moment like when you realize that your team just won a national title on a walk off touchdown in overtime? Do you just black out? Because I think I blacked out and I didn't even have a rooting interest in that game. <laughs> uh, that was real fun, you know, just to see him do that and just to see, you know, where his career went after that. Just kind of took off after that. It, you know, the show is just got to fight to the finish, and that's something that he always, you know, shows us how he wants things, just being committed, fighting to the end, fighting all four quarters, even if it's overtime, you know, just keep going all the way to the end. And that's what happens. Did you have a moment in that game where you thought to yourself, like, all right, this this isn't happening, this isn't our day. You get off to a slow start in that one, and obviously the comeback down 10 nothing. But what was what was that halftime locker room like when you guys are making that change and you realize that this is going to be something that people are going to be talking about probably for a long time? Because that's that's about as atypical as it gets to make a move like that at the quarterback position. <laughs> <laughs> nah, yeah, it was a moment in history for sure, and I'm glad to be a part of it. <laughs> um, I've always thought what's so underrated is the guys who can pick off a pass and just keep calm. I, I mean, I intercepted yeah. one pass in high school and my legs forgot how to work. I just fell afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> and you're used to intercepting passes at this point. You're used to like catching passes in a game as, as a former receiver as well. Do you still have to remind yeah. yourself to keep calm in those moments? Because I don't know what your Apple watch says, but I imagine that your heart rate kind of goes through the roof when you pick off Tom Brady. <laughs> nah, for sure. Um, it definitely does. That's one interception I could say that I was like, really really happy and really excited for because it's tom brady greatest of all time i think he was retired he's supposed to retire after that year so you know i was really excited but i'm glad i got my football <laughs> do you keep those uh like every like a, a ball that you intercept like at, at this point like it may be the first couple you keep but do you have those just that that you're all that you're able to just kind of like put put those in some sort of trophy case or something like that for the special ones or do you just like all right no, what? No, this is just this is what I'm paid to do. I, I I'll give those up. No, I kept I, all the balls from last year. I kept all of them, every single one, every single football. You're gonna have a tough time finding a space big enough for that if you keep <laughs> up with this rate. I mean, like in all seriousness, like how do you this have year, a space for enough for all those footballs? Yeah, this year I'm probably I'm probably not gonna do it. I'm probably. Throw the ball into the crowd if I get one. <laughs> Don't you get fined for that too, though? If you if you do that in a game, isn't that like a real thing in the NFL? Yeah, <laughs> it depends. <laughs> they want if they want to pick on you that week, fine you, you'll get it. But sometimes you know they might let you slide, depending on the circumstances. Yeah. Okay, so we're recording this ahead of uh, your game against the Bengals this weekend. How do you okay. prep for somebody like Jamar Chase? Uh, you got to come with it. You know he's. A great wide receiver. You know, I played against him in college, so I've been watching him his whole career. You know, he's a very good wide receiver, like one of the best wide receivers in the league, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, you just got to prepare. You know, you got to come with this stuff. And, you know, he's going to come with it. Is this a revenge game for you at all because of 2019 LSU? Is that is that something that you still think about, or is that kind of – that's ancient history? Um, not necessarily. You know, I'm a competitor at the end of the day, you know, so – Football is football, you know. Uh, you just focus on the game and, you know, preparing, you know, uh, for the Bengals and the Cowboys this year. 
when when you're at a place like Alabama, the losses are so, so few and far between. You don't have that like marked on your calendar of like, oh, hey, we're facing Trevor Lawrence this year. That's that's a redemption. That's revenge. Like, do you do you not think about that stuff, or is that something that you actually nah. file away? Nah, I'm past that. <laughs> yeah. What about facing your brother? But the opportunity to be able to do that is is that something that you that you've thought about, or is that like kind of out of sight, out of mind? He's got his thing. We're in separate leagues. I'm just going to kind of do my thing and focus on, uh, on whatever team is on the schedule. Um, when that time, I think we played them next year. If I'm not mistaken. I think we played them next year. So it's going to be exciting. You know, that's something that rarely gets to happen. He's playing what I cover. So it's going to be kind of unique. Your mom's going to have to get the split Jersey too. Cause she goes to half, she goes to what? Six <laughs> of your games, six of his games, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. She gonna have to no. Nah, she gonna have to wear my jersey. Um, wear she gonna wear my jersey and a little buffalo hat. <laughs> yeah, because the jersey that's that's all that matters. The hat it's like all right, who cares? But yeah, the jersey is that's really that's gonna show her allegiance for sure. That that's right. gonna be telling. <laughs> uh, one last thing before we get to some rapid fire. Uh, the Twitter account. If the Cowboys win the Super Bowl, can you bring it back? My Twitter account. I'm gonna bring my Twitter back in a little bit. Honestly. Just I've been bit. missing it. Yeah, I've been missing it. I ain't going to be on it as much, but I'm going to bring it back. You know, it's always good to engage with your fans and talk to your fans. I don't want them to think that I, you know, don't like them or anything like that. I just try to stay away from social media when I'm during the season and camp and stuff just to, you know, focus and lock in. I've been doing it since I was in college, you know, just getting off social media. As my coach used to say, he used to say that stuff rat poison. And it really is. Like, you start seeing how people just telling you how good you are and how bad you are, how good you are. And it's just, you don't need to be listening to that or saying that. So just protect your energy, protect your mind space, and, you know, do what you need to do to be successful. And that's just something that I needed to do. Just need the the yummy rat poison, not the not the actual rat poison. It's all about the yummy rat poison. Satan says, <laughs> right. Uh, I want to close with some rapid fire. Just five questions. First thing that comes to mind. Does that work for you? Yeah. All right. Uh, who's the best receiver in the NFL who doesn't share your DNA? Ooh. <laughs> um, Devontae Adams. Good answer. Uh, how hard have you lobbied to try and play receiver? Uh, I've been trying trying a little hard. <laughs> my case i think i can still do it what is uh what does your son aiden want to be when he grows up and please tell me that he's going to replace skip bayless on undisputed <laughs> that'll be pretty cool he wants he wants to go to the nfl but i'm thinking about not even letting him play football honestly i want him to play like golf or something golf baseball tennis maybe <laughs> i mean something i was different I was going to say Saban has probably offered Aiden a scholarship, right? Like that's, that that's forthcoming probably in, in the next like year or two, that Alabama scholarship is going to be there for him. Um, so. Where was uh, the toughest place to play in college for you? Say that one more time. Uh, toughest place to play in college for you, not including Alabama. Ooh, LSU. Yeah. That's, that's the default answer. Can't go wrong there. Um, all right, last one. You're on. Um, you're on your brother's team with Sacks. How much would you like to suit up with him on the same team one day? That would be amazing. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. The timing of it. One day, maybe it could. He got like ten more years left in him. <laughs> who's gonna, who's gonna have a longer <laughs> career though between you and him? You said he's got ten more years. I mean, you're only twenty three, right? 
Yeah. You got 15 so I'll years. Be 33. I'll be 33. He'll be 38. Tom Brady's 45. Yeah. He'll be all right. <laughs> He'll be fine. He'll be fine. Jerry, well, this has been great. Everybody go check out sax.com. That's S-A-X-X.com where you can get 10% off every time Trayvon records an interception or every time Stefan scores a touchdown. They'll share the promo codes on social media every time that happens. Trayvon, best of luck with everything this year, man. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. Figuring it out, we're talking couple fights. Yeah, couple fights. We're going there today. <laughs> to be fair, Tom Brady, Giselle, they sort of sparked this very hot topic of conversation right now. They fight. All couples fight. If you're in a relationship mm-hmm. and you and your significant other don't have disagreements, you're, you guys are the ones with the issues, not the rest of us. Okay? We're, right. we're, we're binge watching Survivor right now. Um, great binge watching show. It is. I think we've talked about this a little bit, not great to do week to week. I'm not going to sit there and watch episodes one by one on CBS, but I have a totally new love for the show to be able to watch two to three episodes a night. We're watching a blood versus water season. So it's like you have family members that are there. You have, you know, girlfriend, boyfriend that are there, brothers, you know, stuff like that. And there's this couple that is just the it couple. And they brag about how they never fight. He played football, Michigan state. I think she was a volleyball player. But it, it's just maddening. It, it's just not real. It's not real. And I and I want to just I want to see them be humbled. Everything is so positive all the time. And I'm not saying we like Lauren and I were actively rooting for them to break up, but <laughs> we definitely were like, oh man, they got married. Great, good for them. Well, it's always like that super competitive couple that's like trying to like put their like, oh, we never fight. Oh, you guys fight. And then like they, they'll get hit by a fight and you're just like, uh-huh. Oh, and it's like okay. devastating when that first big one happens. Yes. Got to be able to roll with the punches. That, that, right. That, that is the key. There is a fine line. Being around a couple who is constantly happy and telling everybody about how they get along. Terrible. Being around the couple that is constantly fighting and taking over the entire situation. Also terrible. Mm-hmm. The public couple fighting can't stand it. Cannot stand it. The only place where Lauren and I are the couple that's constantly fighting is when we're at the grocery store. <laughs> Sorry. I just read everything goes back to like four topics and Publix is absolutely yeah. one of those topics. Oh, it's not just Publix. It can be Kroger. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it, I think we're both a little bit high strung. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I've, we talked about the, the grocery store figuring out that we did that probably, what was that like a year ago? I don't even remember at this point, but I get a little bit frustrated at the grocery store because people are just not looking out for other people. They're just taking up the entire aisle, just acknowledge my existence. And then she's very high strung because she thinks that I deviate from the list, even though I really don't. We stick to our list. We got the Google home app. Listen, one thing about you is you'd be making lists. <laughs> That's what I'll tell you. That's what we do. But yeah, I just do the grocery shopping now. We don't grocery shop together and it's fine. No, no, mm-hmm. no problem with that at all. At home though, we fight about a few things. We don't do projects well together. I am bad at following instructions. Your boy is really, your boy is, uh, he, he's rough. You give me four things that I have to do and I'll, I'm like, all right, let's start at one. Let me accomplish that one. And then we'll move on to the other three, but one by one, I am bad at it. I have always been bad. And she's got some, some Peyton Manning in her when it comes to her leadership style. Do you get what I'm saying? Big brain processes things at an elite level. Doesn't always have patience for people with mediocre brains like myself. 
fair thing to say, which I get it. I would be frustrated about her too. Other than that, though, we don't fight over what to watch. Um, we have a pretty good mutual understanding. I know a lot of couples fight over you know, the remote or something like that. I'm not going to say, hey, let's watch a four-hour baseball game on a Tuesday night. Not going to happen. We have our shows that we watch together, like Survivor. She watches her shows on a, a football Saturday. I watch Netflix docs when she'll go to bed at 930 or something because she has to wake up at 450 for swimming. We don't really fight about the remote or what to watch. We have a very good understanding. One last thing that we fight about Sundays during the season. Keep this in mind all day Saturday. I'm either working, watching football from our couch, or I'm at a game. So I'm away on Sunday. I'll wake up, have a nice breakfast. You know, Will and I, we record the pod uh, probably like sometime mid to late Sunday morning and I'll have a column to write whenever I get some time on Sunday. Sometimes that's one, one in the afternoon. Sometimes that's 11 at night. On top of that, we do grocery shopping, cleaning, laundry, meal prep, all that stuff we do every single Sunday. I would love nothing more than to just watch the NFL and follow my fantasy teams on a Sunday afternoon. That'd be great. Mm -hmm. That'd be awesome. I also realize that when we do actually get like an hour or so of downtime on a Sunday, Lauren doesn't want to spend it watching Vikings Lions and hear me boast about drafting Justin Jefferson two years ago in my keeper league. She doesn't want to hear that. And I get it. But we'll fight about that if I'm spending too much time on my phone or if I'm just not present in whatever we're doing with that limited downtime. Well, what are what are some of the things that you and Brittany or maybe not even you and Brittany, but past girlfriends have kind of gotten into some of those disagreements about? So I think the thing that like I'm learning about me is like I think I say this. So. I, I feel like I don't like you've kind of been around me in like tense situations. I'm very direct. I'm very to the point. And I, yes. I think that that's something that can be bad in a relationship where feelings are involved. I yep. think that when you talk about solving problems, I'm very good at solving problems. I'm not I need the people good. to know this. I need people to know how chill you are with solving problems. You are as chill as any person I have ever met when it comes to a specific issue to the point where it, I almost feel like I need to say to you, Will, you need to be upset about this because this is maddening and it drives me nuts. And I'm trying to calm down and get better at that. But you just have this unbelievable, relaxed, everything's going to be fine. Or if it's not like, all right, whatever, there's nothing we can do about it. And you are that calm person. So I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I appreciate that. Connor. We had a moment with the podcast. Was it going on iTunes? You called me. I was in Bourbon Street. Like, pretty couple hurricanes deep and i explained like the intricacies of an rss feed to you just off bourbon street i was like okay so here's the deal this feed gets beamed up and different services pull that down and there's like people like throwing up in the background <laughs> i was just what going through it so it was wild but yeah i mean that's that's something i've always taken pride in and i think that for like for me i'm used to being in that work mentality that you see me around where i'm just like boom get it done da, da, da. whereas like Brittany is more of like a feelings person so she almost cares less about the solution as she does kind of like the vibe and yeah. so I think that's something that like I've learned a lot about myself is that like being this like project manager guy I gotta like slow myself down a little bit and be like hey how do you feel about this how would it be better if we did this whereas I'm a big list guy I'm a big do you do shared notes on Apple don't do shared notes we we do we use the Google Home app for for mm -hmm. our grocery list and that's pretty much the only thing that we we use in, in that sort of realm so 
if you have a note on your iPhone and you hit share it, you can share it to a different account and you can both add and subtract things to it. So I'm a big time, like I'll wake up on Saturday and be like, okay, well now it's like, I have two hours to do everything. So I wake up even, even earlier, but on a non game weekend, I'd be like, okay, we got these eight things to do on Saturday. Here's my game plan. Dot, 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 dot. And so I've had to like calm down on that a little bit. And then I think, you know, I, I think that's like more or less kind of the thing is that like Brittany just kind of wants to feel like she's, like, 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 like that I'm spending specific time on her and being like, okay, you're the queen. You're the most important thing in my life. Let me stop watching Florida, Kentucky for a minute and talk to you specifically, as opposed to just doing what I want to do. And I think that that's a big deal that I've learned kind of coming up because I'm an only child, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. I've never really had to worry about even that much beyond a pet in terms of other people's feelings. And I think that Brittany has definitely opened my eyes and it's made me a much better manager and much better leader because I have people on my team that are wired very similar to Brittany and it's not, okay, like what, like speed it up. Let's go. Let's go. It's like, Hey man, like, what are you going through? And I think that that that's good to know. So yeah, it's more of like a, like a, like a, what's it called? A, um, like a process thing that it is a specific thing. If that makes sense. There are certain things that you can feel like, you know, about yourself based on how you act with your friends. For example, mm -hmm. with, with my friends growing up, I was usually the one that wanted to plan stuff. If we were going mm -hmm. bowling, if we we're playing poker, if we we're doing whatever, we we're going to get wings or something like that. I was the person to say, Hey, well, you know, how do you feel about going to going to Gators at seven 30 or something like that? Watch the NBA drafts. I was that person in my group. So I naturally thought that when I started, started dating or, you know, I was in a relationship with Lauren, I thought, okay, well, I'm this person all the time. So that's probably who I am with her. And then there were certain moments where she would kind of call me out and be like, Hey, like we, we have to like do, we have to like do something that isn't just stuff that we've done, you know, multiple times. I, I want you to get creative with dates and stuff right. like that. And she doesn't, that's not something that, that regularly comes up, but I didn't know that about myself until it led to, you know, uh, sometimes a couple fight is very, I mean, I think very helpful. And then it allows you to kind of see those things about yourself, who you are and what you can actually take away from it. Because if you don't actually buy into what the other person is saying during a fight and you just sheepishly apologize and then just do the same thing, man, that's insanity. And you're just going to keep doing the right. same thing over and over and over again. So, yeah, I mean, learn a lot about yourself when you're in a, a long, a, like a, a long-term relationship with somebody for sure. It's like the app state loss we just talked about. It's like, you got to look in the mirror and be like, how did we get here? What can I clean up here? <laughs> yes. Jimbo Fisher, look at what you can clean up. Okay, let's go to the Facebook group. We asked the questions, what do you and your significant other get into fights about? Are any of your fights revolved around sports? Definitely. Who is the one to usually apologize? Couple fights in public. Do you have them or avoid them? Uh, we got a lot of good responses. Let's start with this one from... Um, Justin Lonazak. Justin says, financial issues or spending too much is the only reason we fight. No sports fight. Apologies. Normally the one in the wrong and they avoid public arguments. How do you decide though? Who's in the wrong? <laughs> Easier said than done. <laughs> right. A hundred percent. If you are able to, to figure that out based on a conversation, based on a 10 minute conversation, more power to you. But yeah, those, those two areas, financial issues, spending too much. Sometimes it takes being in a relationship to realize how you spend when you're doing finances and you're doing your breakdown for the month and you look back and you're like, all right, what do, what do we actually spend our money on? And if you're single and you've maybe never done your own finances or something like that, you don't realize, Hey, this is a problem. And you share a bank account with somebody and you can't get away with that. 
certain things that I had to come cut back on. I remember when we, when Lauren and I first start, started sharing a bank account, I'm like, oh, I just, just can't really do this anymore. Can't spend money in the same exact way. Probably don't need to spend $90 on a Jersey anymore. Can't really justify mm-hmm. that cost for a Jersey. I'll wear like four times, even though I'll still randomly do that here and there. But yeah, that's a, a very popular one. Um, that's something we fight about my jerseys. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot. <laughs> I need to get the sick one. You're going to come home one day and you're going to have a quilt made of bears. <laughs> I know, right? Just like, oh, it looks great. Oh, you ripped all these up? Okay, I get it. Totally understand it. Peyton White says, um, they fight about Bad Bunny and Shakira. Um, <laughs> uh, so Peyton's-, Peyton's my buddy. He's the one that uh, I went to New Orleans with. And it's when you talk about people being chill and like in bad situations, he's a chef and he was in the army. So he's got me beat tenfold. Mm. And him and his wife are so adorable. They've been married like eight years. And it's so funny because she loves Bad Bunny and he hates Bad Bunny. And she he's the same way about Shakira. I don't know. It's like this weird little rivalry thing they have going on, but it's hilarious. I don't even know. I don't know how serious they are, but it's just very funny. That's like the who I would leave you for. Bad right bunny. exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. i get that you just you need to just be able to accept that there's there's that one person you know there's there's that obvious person that like lauren would leave me for hangman from top gun the actor who's he's just on college game day this past week yeah i was about to say he's pretty cute who's your person connor uh padma padma lakshmi from top oh Chef. that's tough mine's a meg the stallion oh interesting okay hmm. didn't think didn't th- I, I didn't realize that you were that big of a... I don't think we've ever talked about Megan Stallion. Oh, yeah, dude. I saw her live for my birthday last year. She rules. But yeah, everybody has their one. Everybody has their one. Um. Oh, and by the way, he also says Shakira was at the Super Bowl once. So yes, that's what they fought about in terms of fighting about <laughs> sports. And then I apologize for her being wrong. So that for sure counts. <laughs> I hope no one fights in public because I'm already awkward, man. Don't put me in a serious and awkward situation. That's yeah, good. a couple of fights in public are just I, I don't know if I've ever actually had one because I'll stop talking. I'll just be like, Now you fighting with air. Now you look crazy because I'm not gonna fight with you. When you when you see it, it it's car accident. Right. You, you can't look away. Yep. You you want to know what they're fighting about. Now it's different if you're in an enclosed space and if you're trapped around them. Now, if you're on yes. an airplane. That's that's the worst. You, you will do whatever you can to prop, to try and tune that out. If you're in a movie theater, wherever you are, and you're in a situation where you say, I am just going to have to deal with this, and this absolutely sucks. If you're in a mall or something like that, you see a couple fighting, all right, just, just walk away. You're fine. No big deal. You're at the grocery store. Just go out a different aisle. You're going to be fine. No big deal. That's what people do when they see us, right? <laughs> like, avoid those two. So get out of the frozen food section, all right? You don't want to deal with what Connor's trying to Kind of trying to buy mozzarella sticks right now. Lauren, Lauren's not having any of it. <laughs> uh, let's go to this one from Joshua Morris. Uh, he says, TV is the number one thing that we fight about, what we want to watch, but we usually know what's on most of the day on Saturdays. Never about sports since I got her into it and we root and support the same teams. We always apologize to each other when it's mine or hers. <clears throat> we have public fights, but don't like the extra attention. So we will play off uh, when we aren't in public. Uh, I don't think that's the place for anyone to hear or see. Yep. You're going to be mad at your significant other in public at some point or another. It's up to you how you handle it. Right. Don't make a scene. Yeah, that's the big time. And I've had like people in my life that I've thought about this. It's like, what's the long game here? Like, okay, I'm upset here. 
should I bring this up now or should I just hold it in because I know I can control myself. And it's like, if you're in that situation where you feel yourself getting heated in public, it's like, I'm going to end up on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> like, I don't want that. Someone's just going to take out a phone and just watch me and my girl like be bad at each other. It's gonna be like, look at this doofus. And then you lose, you know? Yeah, it's like, it's, this isn't worth it right now. I'll put the mozzarella sticks back. We'll, right, that's exactly. <laughs> that's, yeah, the public shame is a big motivator to de-escalate fights. It's like, oh, you really are mad about this? Yo, my bad. Like, whatever you got to say right now, that is, oh, you are right. I will put these mozzarella sticks back we're not doing this right now i am i am so self-aware in those situations that i will right. feel the eyes on me and i don't want that that's that is the yep. last thing i want in a, in a public setting like that so we avoid that at all costs tanner star says uh they fight about dinner and it's never really a fight more of a daily struggle the ever-present question of what do you want to do for dinner if you're in a relationship where you have to ask that every single night that would be a problem it absolutely would be. I don't know how that wouldn't be. We've always been doing this. I realize this is a couple of fights. Not we're talking. We're not talking about meal prep, but we we meal prep throughout the week so that we don't have to have that conversation. And now yeah. it's a little bit different if we're talking about getting takeout on a Friday night or something like that. Or oh hey, you know we we ran out of whatever we had that we meal prep. We need something else for Saturday. That's a little bit different. But you're inviting those fights if you have to have that conversation every single night. That's tough. Do you do that? Mm -hmm um yeah so like the the it's really just dinner you know what i'm saying because she works in an office and i work from home so we got it we're kind of on our own there but for dinner like Brittany's really good about being like hey here's my plan for dinner or would you like to order dinner or whatever um yeah it's just it's one of those things that like <laughs> i order so much uber eats dude that it's like hey uh like i'll, I'll kind of like judge her mood like i can tell she's had like a bad day it's like hey babe can we order something and if she's just like singing like getting right to it and i'm just like sweet sounds like she's making dinner you just gotta read option you can't you can't that's what i've learned it's like you can't get to like <laughs> eight or nine and be like hey what's the plan and once it gets yeah once you get to kind of that like 45 minutes after she gets home like all right hey i got you let's order dinner let's do it or i'll make dinner or we'll do whatever but that's that was one of our early sticking points is like you got, I got to be assertive in those situations because I'm setting myself up for disappointment if she's had like a bad day at work or something. And I'm like, Hey, you know, you usually get dinner. Like what's the, what's the plan? It's like, obviously I'm not doing anything. It's like, you know, it's a good point. It's 10 PM. I probably should order something at seven when I was hungry. <laughs> Life is one big RPO. That's exactly. That's, that's what it exactly, is. Exactly, bro. You just got to see that pressure and you just got to move. Yep. <laughs> Read that defensive end, figure things out. If you take nothing away from this podcast, take away that life is one big RPO. Let's end yep. with this one from Emery. Emery says, y'all know I talk trash. Yes, he does. Everyone gets the smoke, especially Kelsey, his wife. Uh, our fights are mostly about Facebook Marketplace for her or me buying whiskey. Uh, our sports fights are always me irrationally wanting to get to a game four hours early and her having to talk me out of it. Uh, we're both good at apologizing when we're wrong. We also bicker for fun. So we do that in public, just messing with each other and people think we fight. Oh, that's interesting. Anyone that has hung out with us in person for a few hours has seen us bicker, but it's almost never serious. I can confirm that I was with them two weeks ago in Atlanta in Candler suite. They're awesome. They're great. They're awesome people. They don't actually have these like, drawn out fights they're too they're way too chill of people to actually get that heated over something like that in public um but yeah the just doing it to kind of mess with people i would be the type of person that they're messing with by the way mm -hmm. and i didn't see them operate like that but i would be the person that's like wait are these are they fighting are they are they bickering are they going back and forth what's up with that I, I will I would be the one to to walk away thinking, man, they got problems. They got issues. They're fighting in public. 
and Emery's just messing with me. And he he's the one that gets the last laugh, not me. Smart man. Yeah, being around them is awesome, like you said, because like they really truly like get each other and have very similar sense of humor, and like they're both very like dry senses of humor. So like one of them will say something, and we'll just, and the, the other one just will not react. It's yes. like, oh, this is fire. This is like what this is like. It's like like it's it's literally like the timing of like a skit or something, like The Office. Like you know, when like they like pan to the camera, and it's just like Jim looking at the camera. Like there are yeah. moments like that. They're super funny, and so yeah, like. They're just a very, they're another very cute couple. It's just, it's been great meeting them. They don't throw it in your face either. Yeah. Those are the No, worst. exactly. Yeah. Definitely not. That, him right. saying that about getting there early is very funny because like Emery or John is like one of those people that you'll see him online and like construct a picture of him. And reality is pretty close to that. Like just to be honest, he is, he is himself all the time. And I, I love people like that. I really rock with that. When we're uh, when we're in the suite, uh, Emery was rocking this, uh, this like custom Jordan Davis jersey. And Emery's got like this long flowing hair. And I took a picture of the back of him. <laughs> I was like, cool to run into Jordan Davis. <laughs> yeah, I love doing that. I love, people that does jerseys. not surprise me at all. I did that last year with uh, uh, when I was in Jacksonville and I saw somebody with a Tebow jersey who could like was very different physical specimen than Tebow. And I love just going to the back of him like, cool running into Tebow here. I'll do that at a lot of places. I shouldn't jersey shame. That's that's mean of me. Mm-hmm. That's very cool that you had a custom jersey, all that stuff. Okay, let's end with lad of the week. Will do you have the Sam Pittman clip? Yes, I have a Sam Pittman, Sam Pittman clip. I will post it in the Facebook group. Uh, you know, we're an audio medium and stuff. But like, I'll say this: Sam Pittman was asked basically this week about being in the top ten, and now he's been in the top ten at a point in two seasons in a row. It's a really big deal for him, really big deal for the program, as we say. Yes. And a reporter asked him about that, and he was basically just like, "I," he's like, I don't care about it. We don't care about it. We're not doing it for fans or other fans. We're doing it for recruiting. Yes. And he says it like so slowly and deliberately. He's like, it's for recruits. We want the recruits to see it so they know they play in big games. And it was just so great and honest because, you know, Pittman, like, I mean, I don't think Pittman dislikes the media or anything, but I think Pittman doesn't like attention. And I think that whenever it comes to like the, he's just not a big look at me guy. So whenever someone asks a question about, well, you're doing really well, you know, you're doing really well, his natural thing is to deflect. And I think that's where he's grown as a coach is to say, no, like we need to talk about how well Arkansas has done and how well we're slept on because it's important to recruit. So that's why I'm talking about this. Don't think I'm, you know, a braggart or, or someone that would make you know my mama not proud. But we got to talk about this for these kids. So he's loud of the week for being himself while still yes. playing the game. Exactly. And it, it frustrates me that more coaches don't do that. When I saw this clip, courtesy of Courtney Mims, by the way, I, I mm-hmm. definitely had the same sort of reaction. Of like, why can't all coaches just do that? There's, there's nothing wrong with acknowledging that getting a top 10 ranking at any point during the season is an actual accomplishment and saying that rankings don't matter for a top 10 ranking. Right. (laughs) Right. Dude, seriously. Think about that. So, I mean, there is something to be said for, for getting to that point and acknowledging it. And of course you have more things that you want to be able to do. You can acknowledge that and say, this isn't our end goal, but just so many coaches just shy away from that. And they're like, Oh yeah, you know, we don't really focus on rankings, but it's like, no, it is cool. And it is a big deal. And considering where Arkansas was two years ago. Yes. Brag about it. Tell it to recruits. They need to know that this is not the same Arkansas uh, as, as it was two, three years ago. If you have not, leave us a five-star review, subscribe, join us in the Facebook group here named Red on Air with Figuring Out or Bold and Brash. And like I said, if you don't find us on iTunes, we're going to be there on Spotify. We're going to be there on SoundCloud as well. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.